All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. Today on the show, we're talking about Gareth Edwards, the creator. This is a big, giant humans versus AI sci-fi adventure that was made for $80 million. That It needs to be said over and over again, and we'll talk about that budget in the conversation, but... How they did that is uh, definitely the big story here, uh, but also we get a lot of fun puzzle pieces to get into. Joining me for the conversation is Ryan Lewis Rodriguez from One Track Mind Podcast, and yeah, we have a lot of uh, really fun stuff to get into in this one, so that is coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. Uh, Other than that, I do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, from Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. Lots of great stuff over there, so check it out. It's patreon.com slash Rosen. I really appreciate you all being out there listening, but if you want to support the show in that way, I very much appreciate that as well, and there's lots of great stuff to get, so check it out. So with that said, let's get into our conversation about the creator. All right, it's time to talk about the creator, and we've got Ryan Lewis Rodriguez here. Ryan, how's it going? Going well. Uh, How are you doing? I am great. Uh, I'm recording a bunch of like special episodes in a row. This is like one regular piecing it together, like right in the middle that I'm kind of squeezing in. I'm happy to talk about it, though. Uh, It should be should be a fun one to get into, even though I think a lot of the influences are going to be kind of like right there in the open. It kind of wears them on its sleeve. Yeah, they're they're naked references. Yeah, There's, there's no there's no gussying them up. They're there. Not, not really. It is uh, right there. It's right there. Uh, you know what, though? So last time you were on was like a long time ago, and your podcast, you had like a different podcast at the time, and now you're doing One Track Mind. So why don't you tell my listeners a little about what you're up to now? Sure. So One Track Mind is a commentary-focused podcast, not a podcast that does commentaries like some other people do. It's the only podcast out there that exclusively talks about audio commentaries and what we can learn from them and how there's a there's a clear line that you can delineate between commentaries and podcasting. Mm-hmm. I like to look at commentaries as the first podcasts. So yeah. in order to like properly appreciate it, I think we need to go back to physical media and look at it through that lens. Yeah, it's a great idea for a show. And I, I feel like the creator is a movie that once it is out on physical media, I mean, hopefully who knows nowadays what gets, you know, big, you know, physical releases or not, but, uh, you know, the story of the behind the scenes with this, with its very, you know, relatively small budget for a big blockbuster action type movie, it should be a really interesting one when this does hit physical. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, Gareth Edwards is not really a commentary guy. Mm -hmm. Like he did one, I believe for monsters, but I believe he doesn't do one for Rogue One, possibly because he didn't direct most of the movie that came out. Sure, sure. I mean, but that's just my speculation. But yeah, I would. L- I can't wait to see how this movie was actually made because I have no idea how he did it for under a hundred million. I just, I cannot fathom it. Absolutely, and I feel like that story is kind of an asterisk on 
anything with the conversation around the creator, whether you're just straight up reviewing it or doing our whole thing with, uh, you know, influences here on this show. Um, I, the fact that this was made for under a hundred million dollars and it does genuinely look great. And, uh, it's a very impressive fee and, you know, it, it shows that, you know, that can be done and it probably should be done you know, much more often than it actually is, especially with ballooning budgets and, the return's not really quite working out to really justify those budgets. And I think that's going to show up in some of our puzzle pieces as well. I'm looking at my list, and definitely at least a couple of them are uh, victims of ballooning budgets. But, uh, you know, with that said, let's start getting into puzzle pieces. Like I said, there's going to be some obvious ones. Maybe we'll have some out-of-left-field ones here. But what do you have for your first piece? Uh, I have a movie called Looper. Mm, Nice. This is, for those who don't know, it's a science fiction movie set in the near future in which time travel exists, but it's illegal. And uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is being, has to interact with his future self played by Bruce Willis. And where I found the connection between the two is that it is similarly a sci-fi movie, but it's also about protecting a small child with magical powers. Mm Mm-hmm which the little girl in this movie can do EMP blasts, she can speak to robots, she can turn them off, turn them on, and it it has a lot in common with the, the little kid in Looper. Yeah, sure, absolutely, and I actually have a piece coming up later that deals with like that kind of thing, too, of protecting a kid who has some kind of powers, but uh, Looper is a great example, though. Ryan Johnson, obviously a contemporary of Gareth Edwards, and yes. uh, it is a uh, a really cool movie. I You know, the performances from Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis are awesome in Looper, and that is like the main draw with that film. I just rewatched it recently, actually, uh, for the first time in years. But, um, yeah, great piece to kick it off with. Uh, I will go with, I feel like one of the most obvious elephant in the room ones, so I might as well just get it out there right now. You kind of can't make a movie about an AI uprising without bringing up James Cameron's Terminator. So, uh, I, I'm going to go with Terminator for my, uh, first puzzle piece and, you know, after Terminator 2, the series has had a lot of trouble with coming up with another story to tell within this world that he's created. Those first two movies, both just absolutely legendary, just incredible movies. Um, You know, it's kind of diminishing returns after that point because there gets to not be that much more to say about AI other than AI is going to eventually, you know, become sentient and then kill us all. And it probably is. I mean, right now, AI is a big story uh, in the world of entertainment, in the world of jobs, in the world of everything else. It's all kind of coming true in real time as we're talking. But, uh, you know, so that makes the creator certainly very, uh, you know, topical at the moment. But it definitely is something that all the beats are already there in the Terminator movie. So it kind of makes it hard to even push the genre, you know, anywhere with any, you know, future stories. Right. And I would, I would piggyback on that and also recommend a movie that no longer exists because it was in a theme park. And that's Terminator 2 3D Battle Across Time. Nice. Because there's a huge climactic sequence in which the the screen that you're watching opens up to reveal three screens altogether. Mm-hmm. And you're watching characters in the periphery lower themselves into a giant AI machine, which then becomes a liquid metal spider. 
And it's one of the most amazing pieces of spectacle I think has ever been committed to film. And of course, now it's Minions Mayhem. So we've definitely lost something. <laughs> oh, man. What has happened to the entertainment business? Oh, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I remember I saw that back in the day. I, I wish I remembered it so clearly because uh, I, I know it was awesome. And it was probably the third best piece of Terminator film there you know, has ever been. So uh, th that's awesome that you brought that up there. So that's a great and thing. And it's, it's streaming on YouTube. To, to, for anybody who didn't get to see it, even the lobby video is on YouTube. The entire wow. experience. And Ooh. I try to go through it like every two or three years to remind myself, oh, this is when Universal Studios was fun. Yeah, back when it was so cool. I do want to go to the Super Mario ride, but uh, other than that, you know. <laughs> but let's go to another puzzle piece. What do you got next? I have a fairly obvious one, and that is Apocalypse Now. Mm -hmm. uh, the odyssey of traveling through hostile terrain to assassinate a tyrant has a lot in common with John David Washington's modus operandi in this film. Yeah. Going to to basically put a bullet in the head of the AI, not creator per se, but the one, the head honcho. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely that kind of, that persistent dread in there. It's not as overwhelming as Apocalypse Now, but it's it has a lot in common. And I would even add like Ad Astra to that. Hmm. which is another great movie that is basically Apocalypse Now in space. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, th that's a great one to bring up for sure. And I will uh, kind of just jump right on top there with another puzzle piece, one that uh, kind of, I think, goes right along with it. And that is Oliver Stone's Platoon, uh, a, a film where you know, people are losing their humanity because they stop seeing, you know, people as people. And they're just, you know, it's just a, a mission to just, kill these people and and they stop like actually seeing them for who they are and of course you know these ai robots they're not people but at the same time like you know we should have some kind of compassion and that's like a big thing of the uh you know the story here with the creator is just how much a, a stake in the road this division between human beings and ai uh how far that divide becomes and just kind of how terrible it turns us yeah, that's that's uh, I still this is embarrassing, but I've still never seen Platoon. OK, I have a lot of blind spots in my knowledge of Oliver Stone. Mm -hmm. I'm more familiar with him as basically the instigator. Sure. The problem child constantly yeah. raging against the industry and against, you know, endorsing conspiracy theories. So I'm a little I'm a little like uh, arm's length from him, but I definitely need to watch Platoon. Yeah, I just watched it for the first time in 20 plus years, at least uh, just this summer. And uh, it, it really holds up. And it, it, it's a bummer of a movie, but, uh, it, you know, it definitely, definitely works still. And uh, yeah, what do you have for your next piece? I got a weird one, uh, but hear me out. <laughs> Jupiter Ascending. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> it's a fully built out cosmic universe. Except instead of robots, it's animal-human hybrids. So you have an elephant person. You have mm -hmm. uh, Gugu Mbatha Ra has bat ears. Mm -hmm. It's one of the there's a there's a giant dragon in a leather coat. It's yeah. one of those movies like once you see it, whether you like it or not, you will never forget it. 
And it's something that I wish I saw on the biggest screen possible. Instead, I saw it on Blu-ray when it eventually came out. And I even thought at the time, well, this is bad, but I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. And then I came back around to it when it came out on 4K, and I'm like, no, this movie's legit good. Hmm. I haven't seen it since the theater. The only good Eddie Redmayne uh, performance, I will, I will stand by that. But <laughs> he is uh, over the top in that movie. Completely he's so insane, bug nutty, insane. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, and I'll say, you know, another connection I, I hadn't thought of bringing Jupiter Ascending up, but another, you know, way you could connect them. Uh, also, a sci-fi movie that absolutely wears every single one of its influences on its sleeve. So. Uh, it's, you know, definitely you can see a comparison there. Uh, they, they were absolutely drawing from the well of every, you know, classic sci-fi kind of film, uh, when they were making that one. So yeah, I love how it plays with tropes. Mm -hmm. Like that's the most fun. Like uh, the, the creator has a bunch of tropes in it, but they're not the same tropes as Jupiter Ascending, but they play with that that kind of subtext and the, the kind of context that you're provided in a way that I think makes them tonally similar. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. I could definitely see that. Um, I, you know, I already brought up James Cameron, but I'm going to bring up Avatar as well. Uh, specifically, I think there's plenty of comparisons you could draw, but I wanted to specifically focus in on uh, Allison Janney's Colonel Howell, who is basically doing the same uh, shtick as Stephen Lang's Colonel Quaritch. Uh, just a hard-ass... Uh, no, you know, no nonsense, terrible, evil person who sees nothing but the objective, uh, and is a super fun villain. Uh, they're, they're both characters that you absolutely hate because they're just horrible, but they are just, every time they're on frame, they, uh, they, they really just kind of take over. And two films that need to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Like Big technology films. I saw the creator in Dolby Cinema, and mm. it was like it—it it was like an experience that was just overtaking me. And while a lot of his, uh, a lot of it is familiar, and a lot of it is not terribly original in terms of the plot beats, but in terms of a sensory experience, yeah. I would put it on par with Avatar. It is quite dazzling on the biggest screen possible. Yeah, I would say that that is uh, the best. Thing about the creator uh, you know like you said it's not exactly original but like as far as an experience goes it it looks fantastic and it really creates a world within to uh you know tell a story and that's you know absolutely what you could say about uh what james cameron did with the avatar films so definitely uh what do you have for your next piece i got another weird one <laughs> the tree of life Ooh, okay now there is something about Terrence Malick, who loves the magic hour. He loves mm. that the light that you can get between 5 and 6 p.m. at any given day. Like, I could connect this to Days of Heaven as well, because the entire movie is shot in magic hour. But there's sure. something about the kaleidoscopic nature of Tree of Life, and the way that it's lit is very sumptuous in, in a similar way. And it makes me think that if Terrence Malick made this movie, I imagine it would look somewhat similar to what Gareth Edwards has done. Hmm. Yeah. And and it's funny because like such different kinds of movies, but absolutely the uh you know, the look of it all and the the way that it it, it plays with the nature of like, you know, what 
existence is basically on this planet. Like, you know, that's always a, a major thing of like what being a person is uh, with a lot of Malick's films. And uh, it's definitely something that's being explored here with the creator and uh, just in a, you know, a much more sci-fi way, obviously. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I mean, Tree of Life is possibly my favorite film of 2011, but yeah, there is definitely a shared DNA between mm -hmm. the two. For sure. Absolutely. I will go with, uh, you know what? I'm going to get this one out of the way. I'm going with the Babams and Super Mario Brothers uh, for, for, <laughs> for for those robots that they just arm them and then they just start running into uh, enemy territory. Uh, th those guys are just Babams, but in a sci-fi uh, action movie kind of way. So there you I go. did not think of that when I watched it, but now I have the image in my head and I can't shake it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, amazing and uh, ridiculous. What do you got for your next piece? Uh, uh, this one's probably a little predictable, but Alita Battle Angel. Alita Army, let's go. And the, the question that I had throughout the creator is a question that I have whenever I watch Alita, and that is constantly thinking about cyborgs mm -hmm. and why anyone would want to be one. <laughs> That's my main question whenever I watch Alita is always like, okay, so they they have human heads, but they're on robot bodies, but you can't really, like, conveniently walk through a doorway. So, like, no. what is the reason for it? And they never answer that question, possibly because they didn't care. But it is similar in terms of the, the scope and diversity we see in robots in the creator that just uh, inextricably links them together in my mind. Maybe this ties back a little bit to the Malik puzzle piece but uh you know like just this like wanting to be alive this fear of death this like you know what does it all mean of it all like people wanting to stay alive forever it's like something that you know ties into alita it's something that ties in here like anytime you're talking about big heady sci-fi like this uh you know you could you could kind of uh get into those kinds of questions i think that's why uh, sci-fi exists for a lot of a lot of things um actually that ties in perfectly to my next puzzle piece which is uh ridley scott's alien prequels uh specifically covenant but um definitely both prometheus and covenant um the idea of uh you know somebody creating something in an attempt to uh learn more about life and learn more about you know their their own creators but then their creation wanting to kill them and then they want to kill their creation and it's just an endless cycle and uh you know that it, those movies are so super bleak i mean a lot of ridley scott movies are but uh, especially those alien prequels and the inherent just badness of everything and like here in the creator it's you know it's a it's a little bit more positive of a film but it definitely sees a future in which ai leads to just war you know <laughs> just uh, fighting yeah. and and pain and death and all this stuff which uh is you know is i think again a, another theme that we see in a lot of sci-fi Oh, absolutely. I think Prometheus is a really good pull. There's yeah. definitely, there's some, there's some shared overlapping in those two. Absolutely. What do you got next? I have, uh, this is in terms of budget, very similar. District 9. Mm -hmm. 
This movie was made for like $30 million by Neil yeah. Blomkamp, and some would argue the last good Neil Blomkamp movie, despite the fact that it's his first. And there is, uh, it's amazing what he pulls off with seemingly uh, rudimentary uh, technology. Yeah. And it creates this world that you probably haven't seen before. And instead of robots, it's prawn people. Mm -hmm. Which I think is inherently more interesting than robots, simply because they're giant talking, walking shrimp. Yeah. How sure. can you not love it? Yeah. <laughs> but I I see uh, a lot of comparisons between Edwards and Blomkamp in terms of their visual approach. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And definitely, like, when talking about big summer blockbuster type of movies that managed to do it for a you know a good amount of money that isn't just totally overblown they're like two of the best examples really and uh, i i'm actually a chappie defender i like chappie um i feel like the uh the robot design here is a little chappie ish you know yeah and you gotta love hugh jackman's mullet yeah. in Chappie. That's for me that's the reason to watch the movie. Just Definitely. He looks like an old school gym teacher from 1975. It's terrific. Oh yeah, he's great in that movie. He's it's it's a ridiculous movie, but I love it. Um but yeah, District 9, great piece there. And uh, definitely, I, I think, like, one of those ones that kind of has to be here, almost like Terminator. Like, it's just, it has to be a part of this conversation. Uh, so yeah, I I want to throw this in as, like, a little bit of an aside before I go to my next piece. But um, it's not really a puzzle piece, but I was thinking about the Clerks Death Star conversation. Um, because, you know, spoiler alert for when they blow up the, uh, you know, the, the whole ship that like is, is doing these bombing raids or whatever on AI, but you know, what happens to all the people that lived and worked on that ship, you know, uh, yeah, what about the contractors, the contractors? Absolutely. So I was just thinking about that, but no, I, I'm going to go to, uh, my other, like protecting a kid with powers movie. And that's midnight special from Jeff Nichols. Ooh, um, good one. Yeah. It's, it's a great film. And we finally have a new Jeff Nichols movie coming later this year. I can't wait, but, uh, oh, you know, I, Oh my God. That trailer is so good. So good, so good. Jodie Comer, come on, she's the best. It's the whole be cast, great. the whole cast. But uh, yeah, as you know, as far as being on the run with 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 your you know son, I mean, like there is, I think, a little is, is he isn't he of whether or not that kid is going to end up you know actually being his son or whatever with John David Washington. But uh, you know, th there's. Uh, the the idea of like being on the run and everyone's after you and you know that that kid has something special but you don't quite know what it is and those powers are kind of revealing themselves along the way uh it's it's a good example right along there with looper uh of of versions of that kind of a, a story no absolutely all right on what do you got for your next piece uh i have a double header okay because they're they're very much similar in weird ways but they they were both cited by Gareth Edwards as explicit inspirations. Okay. And that's Peter Bogdanovich's Paper Moon and Barry Levinson's Rain Man. Okay. In that they're both road trips between people that initially want nothing to do with each other mm. and then gain an appreciation over the course of the film, even though you could argue that throughout Rain Man, Tom Cruise is spends the entire time exploiting Dustin Hoffman and maybe sure. doesn't learn much in the end. But I think that he does realize that he has 
he has uh love and respect for his brother mm -hmm. that that's great and uh yeah i i know that there's been a lot of uh like i said you know this movie wears its influences on its sleeve and i know that he has been very vocal about uh revealing a lot of his influences so that's that's interesting that those are a couple of the things that uh came to him i've never actually seen paper moon but as far as rayman like you know i could totally see uh that as the example of two people who kind of don't want anything to do with each other, but having to go on a road trip and connect along the way. So a uh, great one. And I'll have to watch paper moon one of these days. I it's know, so good. Oh, you'd love it. Classic. It's tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get to that. Um, that kind of factors into my last puzzle piece uh, in, in a roundabout way a little bit, but uh, that's war for the planet of the apes. The third in the recent trilogy of planet of the apes movies, which um, are just absolutely fantastic, but um, my favorite you know, of the they, three. It is. It's the best of the three. I agree. Uh, and when they find this uh, this kid uh, who can't speak and is uh, you know kind of alone and kind of the last of her kind, you know, other than all of the military people who just want nothing but to obliterate all apes, uh, you know, she becomes kind of a uh, a representation, like a symbolic representation of the fact that they could live together in harmony, uh, humans and apes. And uh, as they go on this this kind of road trip type movie, uh, you know, across the desert uh, to go for this final war with the humans, um, they, you know, uh, Caesar and, and the little girl, they kind of uh, learn to, you know, appreciate each other and each other's company. And uh, along the way, they, you know, have to work together and uh, get through this, you know, horrible you know, violent situation, but yeah, just one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years and uh, such a great ending to that story. And it ties into Apocalypse Now because Woody Harrelson's character is explicitly referencing Colonel Kurtz. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that kind of ties it all right back around. So definitely great pull there, right, right there. Uh, so do you have any other pieces you want to bring up? Uh, I have one and then an addendum. Okay. Because one uh, is where I thought the movie was going, and mm -hmm. that is Reservoir Dogs. Ooh, because okay. when the road trip starts, there's a dying guy in the back seat who is just basically bleeding out. And I initially <laughs> thought, okay, this guy's going to be with them, and he's going to be the obstacle. And then he dies like two yeah. minutes after he's introduced, and it's kind of like, okay, so Reservoir Dogs, taking that off the list. But initially, <laughs> I thought that has something in common. Nice, nice. So instead, I'll go with the most obvious one of all, and that's Blade Runner. Mm, uh, sure. You cannot uh, separate this from from uh, Ridley Scott's movie to to piggyback on uh, Prometheus. Sure. And obviously, the production design is heavily influenced by uh, futurist Sid Mead, who did mm -hmm. the concept yeah. artwork for Blade Runner. And uh, Gareth Edwards has said that basically he transposed. Sid Mead's work from 1982 to make it 2065, but not really change it so much so that it's a future that was determined by the past. Oh, that's, that's very cool. That's cool. That's a, uh, that's interesting. That's almost like a puzzle piece within a puzzle piece right there. Like <laughs> it's a Russian know? nesting doll of a puzzle piece. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. But yeah, like seriously, I mean, that's the weird thing about Blade Runner. Like, and to be totally honest, like I 
don't love Blade Runner. Like, I love it visually, and I love the score, of course, you know, as a composer. But, like, um, it, you know, a, as a movie, it's not my favorite movie. But, God, what an influential film. Like, every sci-fi movie is inspired by it. Yeah, if it's sci-fi and it's raining, it's Blade Runner. Yeah. It's Blade Runner right there. Absolutely. Uh, so I will read down our list of puzzle pieces here, and then we'll get into some closing thoughts. Uh, we talked about Looper, the Terminator series, Apocalypse Now, and Ad Astra, Platoon, Jupiter Ascending, Avatar, The Tree of Life, and Days of Heaven, Super Mario Brothers, Babahams, Alita Battle Angel, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, District 9, Midnight Special, Paper Moon and Rain Man, War for the Planet of the Apes, Reservoir Dogs, and Blade Runner. I'll also just say that uh, a couple of people uh, pointed out to me The Golden Child, which uh, I haven't oh, seen yeah. since I was a kid. Yeah, so I mean, that's. It, I think it's a kind of obvious one, but also I haven't seen it in so many years I didn't want to bring it up, but uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm only familiar with it because it's on I Love the 80s Strikes Back, and nice. I watch that series basically every two years. Just to nice. just to get my fix. And I've still never seen The Golden Child, but what I know about it, yeah, that's on point. That that totally awesome. works. Awesome. Uh, any closing thoughts? Anything we didn't quite get to while going through puzzle pieces that you wanted to bring up? No, I think this is a this is a wide ranging episode. There is so I mean, this is like it, the creator is basically a scattergun. It mm -hmm. takes in the influences and then spits them out in different directions. And you can never know exactly what pieces from which because it kind of it solidifies. It's kind of malleable. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's one of those movies that you've probably seen before, but you haven't seen it in this way. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's also, you know, not to bring it up, you know, again and again, but, you know, the budget is a major, major part of this story. And of course, you know, we're recording this, um, it, you know, the movie's been out over a week now and it's not doing as well as it should be. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why that is, uh, you know, people love these kinds of movies, you know, maybe this will be something that finds its audience later on, but this, this is the kind of you know, quote unquote original story that everybody says they want. And here we go. They actually made it with a budget that's reasonable. Um, people should see it. No, absolutely. I'm so glad that I actually got a chance to see it in a theater because I don't think it would have a similar impact on DVD or Blu-ray or even 4K. Although I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing what it's going to look like on my TV. I'm glad yeah. that I had this opportunity first. Definitely, definitely. Uh, one last point. I just wanted to uh, mention uh, a line that I wrote down from John David Washington that I really loved uh, when he says, uh, I don't give a shit about going extinct. I've got TV to watch. Um, <laughs> you know, that I, I felt that. You yeah, know? <laughs> I, guess, I mean, if, if you mean like watching movies on TV, yes, that's me yes, literally every day. Yes, exactly. As it is all of us movie podcasters. So, uh, yeah, I think that does it for the creator. Is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Sure. Uh, a movie that I rewatched uh, last night and kind of uh, is a visual sonic experience that reminded me a little bit of the creator. And that's a documentary from 2022 called Moon Age Daydream. Oh, yeah. Which is basically the it. life and career of David Bowie. And he is such a fascinating figure. 
And I miss the fact that, you know, he's not with us anymore. And it, it really bums me out just to see the, the full breadth of his career and all the different yeah. personalities he undertook and how he would he would never stay with one style for too long. He was always constantly looking for the next thing. And this is a movie that came out in IMAX. And when I saw it, I absolutely adored it. And now Criterion put it out in 4K. And it looks just as good, although I miss seeing it on such a big screen. Yeah, I was actually just going to say, like, talk about a movie that I wish I had seen in the theaters. Um, that <laughs> That's high up on my list for sure. Yeah, hopefully they'll reissue it sometime along the line. Maybe the way that Stop Making Sense is now making the IMAX rounds. And God, yeah. what a great experience that was. Amazing. Hopefully someday it'll come back. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, Ryan, thank you uh, so much for being here. Why don't you tell people where they could find you and your podcast? Sure. On X, never going to get used to saying that. I'm, I mean, I don't <laughs> like Twitter, but I miss it more than I like X. Uh, sure. It's at one track mind pod. And I spend most of my time on Instagram at one. That is the numeral one track mind podcast, because I guess somebody else took the spelling of one, and it makes me upset every time I have to say what the Instagram is. Son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can find uh, the podcast wherever you listen, wherever you hear this, you can find One Track Mind. And you can consider supporting uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash One Track Mind podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. And hopefully it won't be as long before the next time we get you back. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. It doesn't even matter what the movie is. I'll come up with puzzle pieces. I'll find something. <laughs> Have you ever been reading through a stack of comics and thought, maybe I should see what the Sarkham Asylum game is all about? Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half the characters were? Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode we take a look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about the creator. Thanks to Ryan for joining me on that one, and thank you to all of you for listening if you're enjoying piecing it together, of course, make sure you're subscribed. We have a lot of episodes on the way, so you could subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening, you can click that subscribe or follow button, whatever it happens to be. And while you're at it, a five-star rating and review would be very helpful. Helps get the show in front of more people and then, you know... Make the show bigger, get more people listening, get to do more cool things like the live shows and the contests and giveaways and all kinds of fun stuff. So drop that five-star rating and review. I do appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, and check out that Patreon I told you about at the top of the show, produced by David Rosen. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. Lots of great stuff to check out over there. So... Time to close this out with a piece of music like I always do. And you know what? I got an obvious one because this movie's called The Creator. And I got a song called Creation from my self-titled album, David Rosen. This is the album that came out in 2020. 
I think this fits quite well. So we'll go with Creation from the David Rosen album, which is available, of course, to stream on Spotify, Apple Music, and you can buy it on limited edition CD over on Bandcamp, as long as Bandcamp is still a thing. I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon. West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.